You've had a long day at work, and you can't wait to just get home, take off your shoes, plop yourself down in your favorite chair, and relax. You walk up to your tranquil residential home and your neatly manicured lawn in your quiet suburban neighborhood, put the key in the lock, open the door, and... Yes, the pets have gone wild! What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets. Where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author, Bob Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hi, everybody. Welcome to What Were You Thinking? Whew. Ooh, I... Oh, I guess I can't do it. I was trying to match the enthusiasm of our announcer. Nice but, try, Bob. Yeah, thanks. That was a, a little bit, a little bit wrong. Pretty close, but. Well, welcome to What Were You Thinking? I'm Bob Tart, and I'm Linda, and we're your hosts on a weekly podcast <laughs> for Pet Life Radio about exotic pets. And I'm the author of two books about exotic pets: Enslaved by Ducks and Fall Weather. weather. And by exotic pets, of course, we mean... Anything other than cats or dogs. Anything but cats or dogs. Now, not everybody can have pets. You know, may, maybe you live in the frigid north like we do, and you pack up to move to a condo in the Caribbean every winter. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Yeah. Or, you know, maybe you just don't want the trouble of a cat, a dog, or that cigar-smoking monkey in your house. <laughs> and, you know, a year-round pet is, you know, just a little bit too difficult, and you're looking for something a little different. Now, if you like birds, we've got a great way for you to get involved with birds on a short-term basis, and that's to volunteer to be a wildlife rehabber. A couple of weeks ago, our guest on What Were You Thinking was Executive Director of the Wildlife Rehab Center in Grand Rapids, Peg Markle. Linda and I started out a few years ago raising and releasing orphan starlings for Peg. By saying Linda and I, I I'm really playing up my role because Linda was the one who did about 90% of the oh, work. you did some stuff too. Yeah, Lind Linda was really tireless because uh, you have to feed these birds uh, at least every two hours, and we will get to more of that in a little while. But, you know, starlings are one of the three wild birds that you can have in your house without, legally. legally without having a federal permit. The other two birds are house sparrows and pigeons. Mm -hmm. The reason I say house sparrows is uh, a lot of people who aren't birders aren't really aware of the fact that there's lots and lots of sparrows. Many. Yeah, and I, I didn't know that until a few years ago. I uh, Before I became interested in bird watching, I thought a sparrow Sparrow's was a sparrow. sparrow was a sparrow, but then lo and behold, we saw. You look in the bird book, you'll find other Song sparrows, American tree sparrows, chipping sparrows, all, all kinds Quite of Quite a long things. list. Now, after we worked with starlings for a while, Peg Markle got us a federal license to raise and release other birds. In fact, right now we are sub permitted under the Wildlife Rehab Center. Since we got our license, we've helped raise and release. All kinds. Oh, many. All kinds of birds. And, uh, for instance, bluebirds, cedar waxwings, robins, grackles, rose-breasted grosbeaks, eastern kingbirds, common nighthawks, Baltimore orioles. Quite a long list. Downy woodpeckers and a red-bellied woodpecker. We're going to talk about those woodpeckers at greater length in a little while because... They're a lot of fun. Yeah, we had some really good experiences with two downy woodpeckers and a red-bellied woodpecker. That was this year. Just this summer. 
But we're going to start out talking about starlings. Since starlings are, in many ways, a pretty easy bird to raise, and it's a fun way, you know, this is a fun way to get to know wild birds, because you see the birds out your window, and especially a bird like a starling, it's a pretty ordinary bird. very hardy. And a lot of people see starlings on their lawn, they go, oh, starlings, I wish something interesting would show up. They're a beautiful bird. Yeah, one, one year, Linda and I went to a pet bird show, where there were canaries, and all kinds of parrots, and cockatoos, and we saw this woman with a little cage and just a gorgeous bird that she was bringing to the judging. And she said a lot of people came up to her and said, where on earth did you get that exotic bird? And it was just a starling. And that's the fact is that people think of starlings as these, these drab birds because you see them from a distance. But starlings are they are beautiful. They are just gorgeous birds. And Very smart birds, And they loads too. of personality. Mm-hmm. Before we get into talking about raising and releasing starlings uh the the obvious question is how do you contact a rehabber how do you even get started and i i would say call your local humane society or animal shelter and i would be surprised if they didn't know all the rehabbers be able to tell you some in the area yep or otherwise uh check the web you can just check under rehabbers put wildlife rehabber and put your state and I think you're going to get a list of them. You should get some guidance and direction. Yeah. So let's start out talking about starlings. And Linda, why don't you go into a little bit what's what's involved? What are the challenges with these birds? And there are some. And what are the fun things with them? And you know, re- really, what's involved? Why don't you take us through the process a little bit? Well, they're very good eaters. I'll tell you that about starlings. They're one of the most uh, vigorous and hungry of the little birds, that uh, baby birds that you could get. And uh, they, and the, even from a very young age, are hungry all the time. You'll find that out very quickly. Do you remember the first time we saw the starlings when we went to Peg Markle's house? She had a towel over the top of the group of them inside a carrier, and when she removed the towel, they all stuck their necks and heads up and started chirping all at the same time and opened their mouth up, and they have a yellow rim around the edge of their beak. And all you saw was this yellow rim and these great big wide open mouths. It was just mouths. It, it was, was like four and twenty blackbirds baked into a pie <laughs> and they stick their heads yeah, up. That's right. She Hilarious. had a, she had a bowl with these very young starlings. They didn't even have their feathers yet, and you you just saw these yellow beaks, these mouths. It was kind of like living flowers come to life. <laughs> I, I jumped back. I was so surprised. I said, "Oh no!" And Peg was <laughs> laughing because I I didn't realize that that's what the way they act. Yeah, they stand up and they put their heads up be fed they want to be the first one to be fed and that's their way of showing it getting right up there and the most vigorous ones have their heads up the farthest so what what do we feed these birds you don't have to go into really the exact proportions but what what do you feel you can't just get a bird from outside that's falling feed out them of anything tree. you want no we we've had people tell us they feed them earthworms or or dog food and that that really isn't very good because um I, I know it's a common image of uh, uh, that robin pulling a worm out of the ground and, mm-hmm. and eating it. But you can't what the, just feed them that. That's not healthy. No, they feed their baby something different. It's a combination it, of things. Mm-hmm. And, so, so what do we put in the starlings? Well, this is what Peg started me out feeding them. She told me to get Purina kitten chow. You, you mix that with water and make like a slurry inside your blender. And you put a can of chicken baby food or two cans of chicken baby food, depending on how much you put in there at one time. And then you put a very small amount of liquid children's vitamins 
and depending on how much you have inside the blender you turn the blender on and you have to make a slurry what I would call a slurry not too thick not too thin something that you can squirt into their mouth with a syringe easily then you store it in the refrigerator in a margarine dish or whatever you have yeah, you either have your rehabber or go go down to your local pharmacy and uh, get some small syringes because these are for pretty small birds. You, you don't want to you don't want a large one to start with. Yeah, after a period of time, you want to use the two C C one. But in the very beginning, I don't. It seems like we use a two CC right from the beginning, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe because these starlings have big they have mouths. a big mouth. The smaller <laughs> ones you can use a small bird. syringe. The we've had other baby birds where we use, use small. a little smaller one, but they actually have quite a big mouth and they eat quite a bit. So you can, I think, almost start them out with the two CC. Now you remember at the very beginning when we would feed these starlings, what you do is. Uh, there's there's no coaxing them to eat. They Not had these all. mouths wide open, and all you would the take time. the syringe and you'd, you'd stick, stick it down their throat. And I made the mistake when we were first doing starlings years ago. I was too afraid of choking them or something, so I wouldn't push it far enough down their throat. I just didn't realize what I was doing wrong. And, and they, you gave them quite a bit too. Yeah, and they yeah I squirted too much for one thing. And they would shake their heads and sling it all over themselves. And I was having to wipe them off every time I fed them, which was every hour and a half to two hours. We had I had to clean them off. And I was just doing it all wrong. You, If you shove that far enough down their throat, they swallow it. And you just put a little little bit of a squirt, not very much, just uh, maybe a one-eighth of a syringe or one Yeah, you can four. always go back and give them more. That's you just the keep thing. going back and you give them back more and more and more. Back and but, yeah, back and forth, back and forth. And you can always tell when they've had enough because that would probably be your question how much you can tell when they had enough they stop gaping their mouth and they sit down and look kind of sleepy or something yeah you give them too much at one time and they start their head shaking and you end up with a polka dot kitchen yeah and they can make the biggest mess you've ever seen they can fling that food but you want to get it far down your throat you're not going to hurt them that's what the mother does she puts it way down their throat Mm -hmm. and so then after after you fed and remember this every two hours you have to do this after you feed them then you want to clean their mess up yeah we have paper towel underneath we have them in like little margarine containers so that you got uh, a group of five or six you want to put them in two different containers they like to snuggle up to each other and in fact for the proper growth of their feet and so they won't get splayed legs and feet you want to keep them tucked up together because they can't support themselves yes and their legs will grow wrong if they're not snuggled in there together fairly firmly you don't want them packed in like sardines but you want they will like to cuddle with each other they keep warm that way you want to use a margarine dish or a couple margarine dishes if you've got five or six of them. And you put the paper towel on the bottom of it and you divide them up between the two dishes. And each time you feed them, then you will need to change those paper towels. Yeah, and you do need to change Trust the paper me, towels. you will. Yes, you will. <laughs> so uh, you, you end up doing that every couple hours. Every couple, hour and a half, luck- two hours. from a, I Like me, I would start around 7, 7.30 in the morning. I would do it till 7, 7.30 at night. And then they tend to be sleepy enough after that. They'll sleep through the night. So you want to be home to do this, but... What Peg used to do when Peg was a school teacher, Peg used to uh, have them in a school. She had them in a little carrier with a handle, and she'd probably have a briefcase in her left hand, and in her right hand, she had the baby starlings, and she'd bring mm-hmm. them to school. But and, she was in a schoolroom setting where that would be somewhat yeah, more appropriate. Yeah, but I would I would tell people uh, they there work in an people. office, just bring those starlings in. Your boss will love <laughs> they it. They'll love it. <laughs> I remember I, I had a baby bird at work uh, one day. One time. Yeah, and uh, people were, were quite amused by that. <laughs> So uh, they're fun to do, and there's also very important is the heating pad. If your birds don't have feathers, they're going to get cold because the mother isn't sitting on them. And so what you have to do is get a heating pad, and you don't want it to get too hot, do you? Because the 
heating, what do you call it, thermostat thing on those, sometimes they'll heat up a little too much. You want to put a couple towels in between the heating pad and the bottom of the carrier that you put in. We had those, by the way, in a carrier that had a lid, and we would actually cover the margarine dishes up with a towel. We'd have a towel underneath them, and then there's a plastic, larger plastic carrier that we carry them around in that has a handle. Then underneath that would be the heating pad. With a towel or two, you need to feel and see how hot it is. You want it to be just warm. You want it to set it on the lowest setting, probably, and just feel it and see if there's a little bit of heat coming up there. You, you don't uh, want it to overheat at all. It's got to be just mildly, very mildly warm. Be careful for those heating pads that automatically shut off after 30 minutes. So if you're going to you do want this, that kind. no, get a heating pad that, that stays on indefinitely. But they have been known to uh, not work right after a period of weeks or whatever. You want to keep a close eye on them and feel them all the time. And that's why we always put several layers of something, uh, towel magazines. or something. You want to keep a close eye on those. They will sometimes malfunction and heat up way too much because the thermostat goes bad on them or whatever. You don't want to take any chances. You want to have a layer of something in between to protect. Now, if this is assuming that you're starting out with uh, very young starlings. After a week or so... They're going to be starting to get some feathers. If they're fully feathered, I don't think you have, unless it's a really cold room or something, you don't have to. And also, yeah, right, and what's going to happen is they're going to start jumping out of that little dish that you've got them in as soon as you open the carrier to feed them. And before long, they're going to be hopping all over. (laughs) Hopping all over the place. It's like having a. crickets all over big big uh, feathery crickets yeah you you have to do your best to keep them inside there when you open up to try to feed them they're tall they want to come out on the counter or wherever you are and when you get to that stage it's probably a good time to think about transferring your birds to a cage into a cage of some sort so that's the next step with we purchase we put them in a in a small cage with perches yeah, we have a certain cage we use that lifts right up off of a tray for ease of pulling the newspaper out from under that, it completely lifts off. It's separate from the top part. It has a door with two perches, one on each side, so three to five birds can perch on each side, and they face each other. And now you're still feeding your birds every couple hours at this point, but uh, pretty soon the birds are going to be all sitting on the perches and you know looking, looking like full-grown birds, although they don't quite have the um, coloration that adult birds have. No. So then the next step is to get them in a larger cage. We, we have a flight cage we put them in. It's just a bigger cage. It gives them opportunity to, to learn to fly. Test flapping their wings and um, that kind of thing. It's down in our basement. And I at, built that. At that point, too, um, you want to get them used to eating on their own. Yes. And so what we do is we get mealworms. And in addition to squirting the formula in their mouths, we're also taking a tweezers or our fingers and we're putting mealworms in their beaks. And it's very humorous in the beginning because sometimes they don't want them. They don't want them. They don't know what they are. They'll clap their beaks around a mealworm and they'll just sit there, kind of very what do in- I do with this? <laughs> innocently, with a mealworm sticking out of their beaks, and then they'll open the beak. What do and I do with it? Well, what is this? What do I do? And the mealworm falls, and, and they-, they crawl under the newspaper, and you don't see them for two weeks. <laughs> But uh, uh, eventually they'll swallow one and go, oh, this is good. This is good. And then uh, they'll start eating the mealworms from your hand. 
And, and then they'll eat you out of house and home because the mealworms can be kind of expensive unless yeah. you mail order them. We mail order ours. They're cheaper that way. Yeah, and what what you do too is you don't you stop feeding them every two hours. You still keep an eye on them, make sure they're eating, but you have the mealworms in a bowl or something on the bottom of the cage. And before long, uh, generally, if one gets onto it, the others will watch, and the others will get onto it too, That's and they'll right. all be eating mealworms. Mm-hmm. So then, at that point, we move them to an outdoor cage. It's what we call a flight cage outdoors. We want them to get used to the sounds of the outdoors, the temperatures of the outdoors. And then by that time, they start getting... You can always tell when they are ready to go outdoors because they start getting really hyperactive. Yeah, There's no question about when they're ready to no, go outdoors. They're, they're noisy they, they from the beginning. They fly around. They're really hyper. They try to get out of the cage every time you open it. And you know be, when they're ready to go, believe me. Yeah, and they're noisy from the very beginning, but yes, they get they really wild when they get older and uh, quite noisy. And so it's just a matter of a couple days outside, um, two, three days, and then you... Let o- them go. You open the thing and, and let them go. It's a, it's a beautiful scene to see them all fly off, and uh, sometimes they'll hang around for oh, a couple days or more they come back they still want that slurry oh yeah they, or the worms yeah they'll, they'll they'll come and bother you and i i say that and it's it's fun seeing it's them come fun back to see them come back going out i like that bit, i yeah. like that okay well we will be right back after this important message to what were you thinking and when we come back we're going to talk about uh, woodpeckers and we're going to talk about a green heron too What Were You Thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatonic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys... Ow! In my car! Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob. Welcome back to What Were You Thinking? I'm Bob Tart. I'm Linda. And... You know, another reason, we, we were talking about starlings a minute ago, and another reason that Peg 
uh, who's executive director, Peg Markle of the Wildlife Rehab Center. Another reason that she likes us as volunteers so we live in a woods by the river, and so we have a very nice habitat for a pretty large variety of wild birds. In fact, since I've been keeping track, in our woods and in the woods over at our neighbor's house, uh, I've seen 105 species of birds. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I don't mean to say that those 105 birds are here all the time, because some no. of them are birds just, just coming through in the spring or, or fall. But mm-hmm. So it's a lot of birds. It so really um, in September of this year, Peg called and told us about a green heron that she had treated for a broken leg. And she'd taken it to Dr. Bennett's office in Grand Rapids. Uh, He was a zoo consultant up until uh, just a little while ago. And um, donates his services. I hope to have him on the show at some point. Oh, he'd be great. And anyway, the leg healed. But the problem was that the bird, you know, the bird wanted to be free and the the thing stopped eating. That's what they do. Peg got very concerned. She was afraid of losing the bird, so she asked if she could bring the bird over and release it on her property. Because we have the river there, and that's where they, that's their habitat. So here's just a little piece of audio that I recorded while we were releasing the green heron. Now, Peg carried the bird. It was a beautiful Saturday morning. That's right. It was it was a beautiful day, and Peg was accompanied by her friend Roger and a couple of their friends and Linda and me. Now do you own all the way to the river? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now when we got to the river, they released the green heron. Why don't you walk them away from us a ways, hon? We'll, we'll stay here. There's a little teeny one sticking out here. There's a little branch right there. It'd be perfect. There's a little, a little perch. Huh? Well, he's a little confused. Can he fly? Oh, he's making the right sauce. He'll be okay. You think he can fly? He should he be able fly. to. There's nothing wrong with him. You okay, honey? He's just maybe never flown. Oh, he's got yeah. He wants to. I think I think he's gonna be okay. I think so too. He he likes it out here. I think. Maybe put him up on a branch. I don't agree with you. No, he's not. He's not a. There's no reason why he should be flying here. He just maybe is not used to flying. Now that release, as you could hear, did not go very well. Linda, you you didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to say what... Other than he hopped around a little bit. Yeah, what happened when she opened that, opened the cage? Oh, he hopped around a little bit, but he wouldn't fly away. He looked very tentative. He he just didn't know what to do with himself. It made uh, made us nervous. Yeah, we were... We Especially were ex- Roger and Peg. They knew how he should act, and he wasn't acting how they should act. Yeah, we were expecting him... That just she, fly off. Just to fly off, but instead... He just kind of hopped down and uh, did not go down to the water. We mm-hmm. released him near the river, and finally they were able to shoo him onto a, a tree branch, and he just sat there a little while. So here originally I had been all excited when Peg said that she was going to bring a green heron over to our property to release, and I thought, oh, this will be so cool. But it turned out to be a very scary thing because it didn't look like this heron was going to make it. He didn't it. go anywhere, just kept hanging around. Nope, and uh, the release was on a Saturday, and Sunday morning I went out to do the chores with the, with our ducks and our hens, and I walked down to the river, and there was the bird still up in the tree, he had not moved an inch. We had kept walking back there all day Saturday after Peg and Roger and their friends left, hoping that he would have moved, would have flown away or something. Nope, he was still there in that branch looking kind of unhappy. 
wouldn't eat, went to the store, got him fish, he wouldn't eat it. It wasn't exactly what he wanted. I think he wanted smelt. They didn't have smelt, so I had to get a fish that was frozen, cut it up. They would prefer to have a whole fish. Yeah, they want a little whole fish that actually looks like a fish. I'm not sure Heron knows what a cut up piece of fish is, but at any rate, we tried it. and uh, Wasn't interested. No, Linda even uh, put the paper plate with some fish on it up in the tree, and that didn't seem to work. Never touched it. Mm -mm, no, and Went I, all day Saturday, Sunday, he didn't touch it all day Sunday. He sat up there all day. We were extremely worried about him. And I, I had went to church and said, you know, Reverend Larry, would you please pray for this bird that he will get his instinct to go, to move, to fly, to come down out of that tree because we are really worried he's not eating, he's not doing anything. Please pray for him. And I got a call, I think, wasn't it at work the next day that Linda called me and said that she went down to the river and guess what? The green heron was down on the riverbank. So Monday morning I went back there because we had went back there several times a day for both of those days since we had gotten him. And I went down there like I had so many times and I walked down there and there, instead of being up on that branch, he was down on the shoreline sitting on a branch that was along the shore just looking so pleased with himself that he had finally took in the nerve or gotten the nerve up to come down from there. And I just thank the Lord for that, that he was there on the ground. And that was a step forward into living on his own. And he actually put his beak down in the water like he was trying to get minnows. And I can tell you, I was so thrilled, just now we, so thrilled. We were still worried about him because we were still quite concerned because he did not look good. His, his feather condition wasn't good. You know, it's just from being in captivity and going through the trauma of the, the broken leg and he, not eating, he, he just didn't look very good. So we were... So he it, had gone by that time three, four days without eating. Yeah, and that's very bad. That's and very bad for a bird that Plus he couldn't fly and age. we didn't know what would happen to him. And what happened after that was every day we started going down to the river several times and either Linda or I would manage to find him. Linda found him more often than I did. It was like a little treasure hunt. Every day we would go down there and see if we could find where he was. And he tended to move. He wasn't flying, I don't think. I think he was walking. walking. Um, he tended to go about 50 feet east every day. He kept so heading east. Mm -hmm. And we would find him on either... some little branch out in the water. Mm -hmm. or, else, or else standing on the shore. So after finally about... And I have to say, I, I started taking a picture of him every day. And he started looking better he and did. better. His feathers looked better. He looked more proud of himself mm -hmm. and kind of just upright and happy. Now, after about the 10th day, uh, I think it was on day 10, that was the last day that we saw him. And uh, we went out and he... We had not really seen him eat. No, and he was quite a ways down for us at this point. We had to fight our way. We we have a path Rambles down to our and river, else, yeah. and um, we you know we long ran out of the path, and we had to go through the brambles. And we found him, and he was sitting on a little stick going out into the river. And and what was he doing? He was doing this little thing where they kind of creep along in a very slow manner and hold themselves really still, poised over the water with one foot up, and they just wait till they see this minnow. And boom, they hit it. And he got those minnows. We saw him get more than one. And he looked so proud. He even kind of looked uh, our way as if to say, see, I know how to eat. Yeah, I think he was showing off a little. He let us get pretty darn close to him. And we watched as he ate one minnow after another. He, he was really stuffing himself. We could tell his instincts had, had kicked mm -hmm, in. And mm -hmm. praise the Lord for and, that. And I kept saying, you know... I think there's no reason in the world he, he couldn't fly because Dr. Bennett... Uh, nothing vet, wrong with his legs. No, nothing wrong with his wings, so that he no. ought to be able to fly. 
and that was the last time we saw him. And it was this was um, about in mid-September. This was time enough for him to migrate. The um, blue herons stay pretty late in the year, but I think the green herons uh, generally like to leave in September up here in Michigan. So he either left at that time or he went farther up the river and then eventually left, but we were reasonably sure that he did just fine. Yeah, so that was a really great success. It was that wonderful. Was just wonderful. We and just have wonderful memories about that. Yeah, and I told Linda that it, it we was... We missed him while he was, when yeah, he was gone. Yeah, it was funny. On one hand, it was reassuring to see the heron every day, but on the other hand, it was a little disappointing because that even though it was nice to see him, it made me wonder, can he fly? Is he ever going to leave? So when he was finally gone, I decided this is a really good thing. This is a, what he needed to do. This is what you want to have happen. You, right. want the, you want the bird to disappear. It's funny, the rehabbing thing is funny because you ultimately, you ultimately want to lose track. Right. You miss them, but yet you know that that's their destiny is mm -hmm. to go away. Not all birds that we've rehabbed do we lose track of. And uh, we're going to tell you about... Uh, Three woodpeckers. Uh, first were a couple of downy woodpeckers. Now, I, I, before I get into the ones we had this year, I want to say that last year, Peg uh, gave us a downy woodpecker that she had been raising oh and was just about ready to release, and she wanted to spend a couple days in our outside cage. And I tell you, this was really a nerve-wracking nerve experience because this little downy woodpecker wouldn't eat. He wouldn't eat the suet that we had hanging up there. And he wouldn't eat mealworms. Um, he just hung on the side. And looked unhappy. And this was the reason Peg had uh, had them sent over to us, just because she couldn't do anything with him anymore. He wouldn't eat. And when they sit there with their beak gaped open, not eating, hanging on the side, that means they want to go. But he really needed to eat some before he went, in case he couldn't find food right away. So our task was to get him to eat something and then let him go. And but so, he wouldn't eat. No, and so finally really we just opened the flight cage door to let him go. And he flew out. But uh, a couple days later... Um, he flew to the tree, as I remember it. Okay, but uh, a couple days later, what happened? Linda had somebody over uh, helping with the gardening. And... Tell what happened with the with the bird in the front door. Oh, yeah, we uh, he flew off, and I presumed that he was doing fine and everything was all right. But I had a worker over here, and the worker was just late. I think it was the gardening person or something uh, working around the house, and they were leaving, and we were standing on the front porch, and this person looked up at the door, and they said, "What's that?" And I turned around, and on the wreath that was on my front door, here was this downy woodpecker. And he looked kind of weak. And I said, oh, my gosh, it's that woodpecker. So he wanted help, I think. He so was we, hungry, evidently wasn't finding food uh -huh. on his own, and he needed, He knew he needed help. So we put him back in the flight cage, and he still wouldn't eat. So I had to sort of force feed him. I had to sort of pry his beak open and put worms in his beak, and then he would eat. And um, I think we had one more release where he couldn't make it, and we captured him again. Yep, he but needed to come back. But finally, the third time... He was strong enough. And also, he ended up flying onto the suet and eating the suet. So at that point, we knew that we were okay because um, he could eat the suet. Did you put him on the suet? I don't remember. No, no, not this bird. Not he was that too one. wild. Yeah. Now, we had a much better experience this year. This year was much better. Peg gave us a couple downy woodpeckers that... Um, they were babies, we were, but feathered. Yeah, we were syringe feeding them, and they were just wonderful They took the birds. syringe just perfect. They were quite tame acting. Nothing like this first year one. Mm -hmm. They would come to the side of the cage, and uh, we... Couldn't wait to eat. Yeah, and they would stick their beak right through the bars of the cage for the syringe. Yeah, very hungry birds. And we finally put them out in the flight cage, and it was really fun that we would hand feed them. We would take the little top 
of the uh, container that the mealworms came in, and we put the worms in the top, and they would eat out of the container. They were the top. Good, good little birds. So we let them go, and it was really fun because we had them around for a while. They flew right to this tree, right by our deck. You could see them out the dining room window, so you could easily see them all the time when they were there, and they were there a lot. Yep, and then Linda would... Um, I'd meet them at the tree with the mealworms, and they'd come down the tree and eat the mealworms. Walk down the tree. And I remember, so cute. remember we had friends over, and we told them about uh, the downy woodpeckers, and they thought that was kind of interesting. And then they saw them, and they just loved it because, you know, you never get the chance to hand-feed uh, wild woodpeckers, nope. and they're standing I'd call them, and they'd come. Yeah. I'd, I'd say, baby, and they would meet me at the tree. You could call their name, and they would come to the tree and feed off of these mealworms because they liked them so much. Now, they, they disappeared pretty soon, but we want to, you know, to, to wrap up the show here, we want to tell you about another bird we had that... Uh, Oh, I think we had this bird a couple months ago now, and we are still seeing him. I just saw him out the window as we're speaking uh, a minute or two ago. I just saw him out the window on the tree. Now, this was a red belly woodpecker, and Peg got this red belly when he didn't have any feathers at all, and she didn't know what the heck it was. She thought it was probably a flicker. You know, you really can't tell. And uh, he kept sticking his tongue out all the time. We called her she at that time. Yeah, we thought it was a she. And uh, Peg called the bird Happy Feet because he kind of... Um, there was a movie about that. Yeah, and he'd kind of stamp his feet or move his feet around. Right. And uh, so we got him when he was just about ready to release. And we put him out in the release cage. And it was so fun. You could open the door wide and walk right into the release cage. He never tried to get out. Never tried to get out. And uh, he'd hop over and get the worms. And he'd always have to give us a peck or two just to show us who was oh, yeah. boss. And I remember um, Perky little thing. he'd stick that tongue out. And he touched me with his tongue a couple times. And I was really surprised because the tongue was like getting touched with a toothpick. It was this little stiff thing. It was not soft like yeah. you think about a tongue being. And it might be that they use that to spear insects and things No in question the about it. They do. They'll stick that in the holes in the trees where the worms are. Okay, and so we let the bird go. And it started off just kind of an experience like with the downy woodpeckers where he would come to the tree. Now, I have to say one thing we were worried about with him is that when we released the two downies, they were already eating suet in the cage. And so we knew that he they was were not the least bit he interested would not in go suet. Near the suet. We, caught, we thought it was a girl at that time. We called her Big Girl. That's right. And because um, the bird just had this sort of gray head and uh, so we didn't... We presumed it was a female. Yeah, because the females... Uh, they, they get a little red at the nape of the neck. But the top of their head is gray. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, we decided we wanted this bird to eat suet. So the tree that the bird would meet us at to uh, feed on worms. And it was the same tree that those two downies, yeah, it's yeah. the same tree. Mm -hmm. And so we put a suet container there. And before long, it was nice, the bird would come down. Oh, I started by smearing the suet onto the tree. So the bird already was kind of probing the tree looking for bugs. And so the bird, uh, he we would... We fed him mealworms there. Yep, and then he'd come... Or her her at that time. And the bird would come down and get the suet. Yeah, I'd say, big girl, big girl, and she'd come and eat the mealworms, mm -hmm. and then she eventually started eating the suet out of that hole in the tree. Now, that, that was pretty fun, but the real fun part was that... Linda and I like to take a walk down to the river a lot and just see what kind of birds are around. And we were looking for warblers that time of year with, without much success. And what, what happened when we walked down? We were walking through the woods, and all of a sudden we heard that woodpecker sound. Chuck, 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 chuck. We looked around, and it was Big Girl. She was coming along with us on the walk, and she would swoop along and light on a tree right beside us. 
as if to say, hi, here I am. I'm coming with you. And she would follow so us. Cute. I don't know if she thought that we were her parents or we were part of her flock. I think she just liked going for a walk with us. Yeah, and there were some days that she would follow us. You know, when we walked to the neighbor's woods and do kind of a loop around their woods and back, that's a quarter mile just to the end of the neighbor's woods. And she would sometimes, once or twice, she would follow us all the way going from tree to tree and chucking at us and coming down and at first I thought she was hungry and just wanted food but when we brought food once and tried to feed her that's not what she wanted she just wanted to she be wanted with to her go flock. For a walk. I don't know if she ever went all the way there and back she went part of the way. There was once when she went almost well she was at least there? went well into their yard. Yeah she did that because there was that mm -hmm. big dead tree in the front yard and she would go as far as that. Now we're calling her she but um, at one point after, we found out different. Yeah after a couple weeks um, I was out in our woods once and she was following. Oh, by the way we would call this take our woodpecker for a walk. Let's go take our woodpecker for a walk. And I remember going down and um, woodpecker came and I got a good look at the top of the head and there was a red stripe forming. Starting to be go up the head there and that we knew then that that was not a female. Wouldn't have happened like that. Nope. So that was a, a real nice saga and the... Um, so then we started calling Big Boy. As big soon boy, as we realized boy. it wasn't a girl, we started calling Big Boy. And that's how we'd call him to come get suet or worms or whatever. Now, even after, I think it was even after about six weeks that there was um, uh, a time when uh, we went down to the river and he still followed us a little bit. And so that's that's an awful long time. It was a... He got independent. He got to where he just... And he found a friend down there. Yeah, we he saw did. another woodpecker that we thought was him this one time. Turned out that was his friend. And, and they would hang out They'd together. They'd hang out down by the river. Mm -hmm. And to this day, he still hangs around with that yep. bird. So he doesn't follow us anymore, but every once in a while... He'll meet us at a tree He'll meet us at a tree. Or nearby, near and the barn there. Well, tell him about that area near the barn. He has that one area Yeah, there's the a tree near the barn that I, I think he might consider his territory because there are a couple times when um, I would go down there and then he would that that was the one spot where he would go down the tree and come real low Start just about a big within arm's reach. Yep. 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 He'd come call. down kind of close and we could go over and talk with him and he seems to like that. And what's nice is that now he feeds... There he is, right on the tree, oh, right as we speak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what's nice... Oh, no, that's, that's the girl a female. one. There's there, a female. We see a female now. So he and might have a Maybe girlfriend. he'll have a friend. So what's nice, though, is that he will come to the suet feeder and he'll be there within arm's length so that we know that he's our red belly yep. and he's doing just great. And so this... But this, he's wild. He lives on his own. He's completely independent. Yep, yep. It's not like he's bonded to us particularly, but yet he hangs around there. I mean, all the woodpeckers do. We get downies, harries, these red belly woodpeckers at the suet all the time year round yep. because we keep the suet blocks out 365 yep, days yep. a year. And it's a very great pleasure to see it these is. beautiful birds year round. And this, the suet is not very expensive either. No. So if you, if you don't want a, a bird or any pet year-round. In the house. Nope. So this is a great way to get in touch with wildlife, to, to help some wildlife off. And we really recommend the rehab experience to, to anyone who has time. And it's just for it's really a, few weeks, a few weeks in the summer. Yeah. Well, that's it for this show. We want to thank you so much for listening. Thanks to, for listening. To, we want to thank you so much for listening to What Were You Thinking? I was distracted for a minute because our cat just uh, walked into the dining room where we have the birds Which that she can hear. No, do. she's not supposed to be. Now, we would like you to be our guest on Pet Life Radio talking about your pet. Tell us your stories. So please email us at bob at petliferadio.com. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming. And thanks to our producers who this week are up in the International Space Station. So hello up Hi, there. Hi up there. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com.